0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Apple's market cap drops below $2 trillion as shares slump on the first trading day of the year, continuing a year-long decline that's wiped over a trillion dollars from its valuation. New Year's same problems for Tesla, shares extend declines after the carmaker misses on fourth quarter delivery estimates and Elon Musk faces an investor backlash.
0: Natural gas prices in the United States and Europe pull back sharply as forecasters expect milder winter temperatures while falling energy prices ease inflation pressures in Germany. House Republicans failed to elect a new speaker as Kevin McCarthy becomes the first majority leader in a century not to receive party backing on the first vote.
2: And dramatic scenes in New York as the former FTX boss Sam Bankman-Fried arrives in court. And guess what? Well, you knew this, didn't you? He's pleaded not guilty or pled not guilty to federal fraud charges with a trial date set for October. Hasn't it just? I just, hasn't it just? I don't know, a bit of fire missing around the set, do yeah, you think? A bit, bit of antipodean kind of <laughs> raw <and>, uh, aggression <laughs> and perhaps someone to get us out of our echo chamber. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all over. Karen, welcome. <laughs> back. Thank welcome you. back. You we are saying we
0: miss you exactly. I missed yeah. you both too. Did you have a great time?
1: I did. I did. Yeah. Very strange weather patterns in Australia, though. Right.
0: Really strange in Europe as well. Oh, yes. Very strange. Well, we've had what tw- uh, something like twenty degrees in Poland.
1: Oh, is that where the twenty yeah. degrees went? It yeah, wasn't absolutely. in Australia, so really? it meant to be what high twenties, thirty plus. And no beach days—a whole week in Sydney, no beach what? days. So climate change in December is not going well for Sydney. Right. Brisbane normally well over thirty degrees, yeah, yeah. probably sort of mid twenties most of the time. Uh, so you were heading off strange. for some
0: winter sun, and it didn't really turn well, out I was
1: that way. Heading off for some well, beach weather, I managed a lovely, three beach days. Lovely dry England, yes. which is <laughs> very typical. Well, I was surprised. I went reaching for the beanie, the gloves, the jacket this morning, thinking it'd be about two degrees. Yeah, yeah. I looked at the weather app, and I was. Like, Thirteen degrees this morning. And you've seen
2: the Alps as well for our little Davos yes. trip coming up. As well. Yeah. it's
1: marching back up the slopes when it comes to. Not the a lot
2: of snow Just out there. He got snow when he went to yeah. the Italian Alps, Just about.
0: but there's
1: there's nothing out there.
2: You've got to go high. You see
0: the
1: you've pictures
2: go of Villar
1: and some of those yeah, resorts absolutely. yesterday. There's
0: yeah,
2: nothing. It's, it's all artificial very tough. snow. Yeah,
0: it's very
1: disappointing. Tough. One other thing I would say too, you know, in London we think that COVID is done. We we're mostly past mm, it. I don't know. Um, well, obviously China's a huge story unfolding at the moment, but still other big pockets of the world where you are seeing these long COVID trends. Oh, as in, you still got the extra COVID demand. I mean, I mean, Australia was incredible on the amount of spending still. A series oh, of interest rate hikes. Economists are saying there might just be one more, and then the Reserve Bank is done. But I've seen so much spending there, and Australia is different to Europe. You can have a recession in Europe and not notice it. If you have a recession in Australia, you have high interest rates, you do notice it. But people were spending as though it was going I out think of I think we've realised broke broken
2: the them. UK finally, haven't we?
0: Yeah. How, how was the property market? Because that seems to be the big story. I mean, it's been really? relentlessly oh, really? higher in Australia.
1: It's so high. It's not come down yet. Mm. I mean, what's been banked in the last couple of years in terms of increases, it's incredible. It's been a much better property Did market than markets? London.
2: I did. Did you pay attention?
1: I tried to. I always
2: try not to. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, the Japanese yen stood out for me. <laughs> what happened to the Japanese yen the last three and a half weeks? Well,
2: I'm going to let the guys on air, our viewers know a little secret here. You came back and said,
1: oh, yeah, I love my holidays. Great. Last last eight days or so,
2: I was a bit itchy on the market, a bit itchy about the job and kind of wanted to get back to thinking about it.
1: Ready for some market chats. A bit stimulation from
2: the What about the tech stocks? we have a look at those?
1: Yeah, I'm going to take you to the markets and take a look at a couple of big name stocks. And don't forget, you know, this is one as we wrapped up 2022. We're talking about a bit more More resilience in Apple versus the other tech names still shedding a huge amount of market value. But it uh, it was a resilient name amongst uh, a bunch of bad players or bad apples, we can say now in the tech sector. What we've got when it comes to Apple shares falling nearly 4% on the first trading day of the year, sending the company's stock market valuation below $2 trillion for the first time in almost two years. It is a stark reversal from the tech giant's first month of trading last year. You may recall when it became the only company ever to reach a $3 trillion valuation. The iPhone maker experienced significant disruptions to his key smartphone business in just the last uh, couple of months, largely due to those COVID outbreaks and restrictions in China. And when it comes to Tesla, well, Tesla shares dropped more than 12%, so double-digit fall in the stock price. What we saw, the car maker missing on estimates for fourth quarter deliveries. The electric vehicle maker delivered a record 1.31 million vehicles in the past year, but investors are growing worried over weakening demand and supply chain difficulties. I think when it comes to both of these stories, a couple of major threats seem to be cropping up here. One, of course, the macro and headwinds. Two, the supply chain issues now are still out of China, and that's accelerating as we talk about the COVID problems. But the third layer on top, and that's a Tesla story, it is one about competition. But uh, we're going to just widen out the conversation. We've got Arjun on the set too. Arjun.
3: Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Good to be back again. Yeah. So well, you were here
2: yesterday. So, <laughs> I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> but
3: That's what I mean. It's good yeah. to be back again. All right.
2: Okay. Remind yeah. you of that by Friday. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nice to be back with Karen as well. Yeah, nice to oh, see that's that. what you meant. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we were talking about all this yesterday, weren't we?
3: Uh, Tesla,
0: Apple, we prospects nice for technology stocks. Um, and Apple was the big story, as Karen was pointing out yesterday.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things going on with Apple, and it feels like everyone's sort of woken up finally. They're back in uh, for the new year. Investors gone, hold on, wait, actually, not much has changed. Interest rates are going higher. We're still worried about demand. Uh, and. That caused a bit of an Apple sell-off. I think there are a few other things. We saw a report from the Nikkei uh, on Monday suggesting Apple's told suppliers uh, to build fewer components for some of their other products like AirPods, like the Apple Watch and MacBooks. Of course, investors are thinking a, a little bit ahead to, to Q4 report from Apple. Uh, the crucial holiday quarter as well. Analysts are expecting somewhere in the region of a 5 to 8 billion shortfall in revenue as a result of the disruptions in the Zhengzhou factory over in China over the past few months with COVID outbreaks there some of the worker protests and workers walking out as well that is uh, apple's biggest iPhone factory in the world as well. So all of that is not creating a a good picture here. And on top of that, you know, you've heard some noises from suppliers. Samsung on Friday is going to release some guidance for their uh, Q4 earnings and we're expecting to see nearly a 50% nosedive in profit because of a weakness in their memory chips. Uh, And again, that talks a little bit about consumer demand because these are chips that go into end products like mobiles, like PCs, etc. And any weakness there from Samsung, the world's largest memory maker, uh, suggests perhaps that there will be a, a weakness in demand for these consumer products that could, of course, feed through to things like iPhones as well.
1: Can we just separate what we're talking about here? Because last year, over 2022, we we're talking about tech stocks where a lot of individual names were sold off more aggressively than others. And Meta was a great example of that. You saw it in FinTech stocks, some cloud service providers. Apple was a more resilient name. Now, as we fast forward to 2023, it feels as though there's still very specific storylines coming out to the fore here. When it comes to Apple, though, as we talk about the supply chain issues, is it a long lens we take a look at this problem with or is it a short lens because apple already has its wheels in motion about moving supply chains to other countries and india being a big focus for it so as we take a look at the stock sell-off Is it something we think about short-term or long-term here versus a Tesla as well, where there are competition issues coming into the mix?
3: Certainly. With Apple, it's uh, short-term, there are demand issues. We know with the iPhone 14 pricing in this kind of environment, with consumer sentiment, potential recession on the horizon, these are big concerns at the moment for investors, and we know Apple's begun to move some iPhone production out of China. Uh, Places like India, for example, it's looking at Vietnam, but still a bulk of it is in China, and I think we will see over the next few years, as you mentioned, that shift. And so that will help diversify some of that risk. Wrap. I think with Tesla, uh, there's other issues as well. Yes, there is a short-term demand uh, issue because um, of China. That's another big one. The COVID outbreaks happening there and clearly a lack of direction as to where the how this is going to come under control. And ultimately what that means, you know, this is a huge market uh, for Tesla, around 40% of sales. So it's uh, pretty difficult right now uh, for for Chinese consumers, given what's happening there. I think uh, there's two parts of the Tesla uh, discussion. Firstly, it is this short term demand issue. But the other side of the debate is, well, Tesla could actually increase its lead here as the uh, electric vehicle leader. Uh, in the space. Uh, Yes, there is rising competition. We've seen that in China, but it's held up pretty well uh, when you look at some of these new players that have come into the market. Tesla continues uh, to have that brand power, much like Apple has over the years, where it's got that stickiness with customers and able to get people in. I think
2: you're asking all the right questions, but I think there's another uh, decision that people need to make about Apple. I'm going to park Tesla elsewhere. I've spent too much time talking about Mr. Musk. But Apple is a must-have in most portfolios. I think it's a brilliant company. It's a massive part of the U.S. um, listed uh, market in terms of its market cap and what have you. But but it's it's your entry price. And I I think a lot of people have been wowed over the last two and a half years by it's different this time. And and Apple's price hasn't been been below 20, 21 times P.E. in the last four years, three or four years, it's been up as high as the low mid-30s. i got a 35 PE back at the um, the end of December 2020. But when I look at the historic PE of this company over some brilliant growth years, 16, 17, 18, I see a, a PE which is between 15 and 19 times, not a PE that is currently just tipped down to 21 times. So we all know that Apple is a magnificent company at the moment. And obviously things can happen, as you say. But, but, are we still being asked to pay roughly 33% too much for this stock?
3: Well, the whole debate about this, I remember having this probably four or five years ago before it almost got this sort of higher re-rating was, can Apple's uh, valuation move from that of a pure hardware company selling iPhones, Macs, etc., to then this services story coming through, this recurring revenue, Sauce. almost this SaaS Sauce. business. Yes, uh, exactly. So can that happen? And we, I think we saw a bit of that as well. And that's why you saw that tick up. Yes, uh, services did very well and has done very well for the company in the face of uh, some of these challenges around hardware i think at the moment we have seen the services uh, part of the business face uh, challenges again part of these macro issues um, and uh, so what you're seeing now is a bit of that that question is this uh, a company that can continue to grow services is a company that can continue to grow that almost SaaS model uh, going forward, or is that really uh, something that's been sort of uh, saturated at this point? Look, Apple's got a massive iPhone user base, uh, about a billion users at the moment, and so it's got a, a number of uh, customers it can basically continue uh, to to get money from when it comes to iCloud, its App Store, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think at the moment, like I said, I think there's some some near-term challenges when it comes to consumer spending consumer sentiment and that's where this debate's going on around this forward PE I think and valuation
0: Arjun, it won't be lost uh, to our regular audience that uh, you spent a lot of your time in southern China previously working on the tech sector in, in that space. And I just wanted to do this very briefly, because I think as we watch technology stocks in the United States get a, a little bit of a spanking yesterday, we actually saw the Chinese technology stocks rebound. And anybody that was looking closely at the Chinese tech stocks listed it in the United States on the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index would have seen quite a strong rebound from the pain that we saw through most of last year. Now, um, you know, it's, it's one day's trade and one doesn't want to get too excited and over-egg the prospects for these businesses. But it does seem as investor uh, investors are very much focused on expectations of what may happen next here. They still continue to sell U.S. tech down on valuation concerns but China is attracting some money at this stage. Yeah, um, what does that mean, do you think, in terms of the underlying? Are these businesses in a good place, both in terms of valuation and opportunity, once we come through this reopening?
3: Yeah, I think loads of analysts have said, look, the Chinese tech sector right now, so beaten out. this is very attractive in terms of valuation, as you say, versus some of these US tech giants. I think this year there are some positive sort of broader themes around China tech. Firstly, when you look at some of the expectations around growth, uh, they saw their lowest growth in, in history uh, last year. That is expected to basically bottom here in Q1, Q2, and reaccelerate going forward as they sort of trim the fat on some of these loss making businesses and focus on those ones that are making a profit, uh, where in the past they've put so much money into chasing all these different areas. The other one is the regulatory environment getting a lot more uh, predictable after sort of uh, investors were pretty shocked over the last two years about the way the uh, Chinese government has gone around introducing regulation, I think that certainty is really uh, going to be helpful for the broader tech sector in China. And that's what's, I think, buoying some of that sentiment.
2: Super duper. Uh, we've got to move on. We've got a guest waiting wings, but uh, we'll see you a little bit later on. Thank you very much. Okay, right, US markets, I'll do this quickly. There's a lot to say, but I'm gonna do it quickly. They came off yesterday. Disappointing first trading day for many. NASDAQ's now down 36% from its record high. Uh, Boeing was moving in a northerly direction, trying to offset the declines that we've just mentioned on Tesla and Apple. Uh, This is a massive data dump day. Your first big one of the year. Let's move on to Treasuries and the dollar and just take a look at it. You have Fed minutes and a lot of questions there. You have Jolts data. You know I'm fascinated by those. You do have manufacturing ISMs as well. With that in mind, let us get to our next guest. Yeah, let's
1: talk further about the macro headwinds with Uma Moriarty, who is investment strategist from Centre Square Investment Management. Uma, thank you very much for joining us. So We just kicked off the show talking about some of these macroeconomic challenges for big-name stocks in the tech sphere. But more broadly, as we take a look at what the Fed is up to, then with the minutes due out soon later on today, what do you expect in terms of the pace of tightening from here?
4: Great to be here. You know, at this point, we are expecting the Fed to have at least two more rate hikes at about 25 basis points each. So another 50 basis points increase in that federal funds rate going forward through the first quarter. And then hopefully we start to see them take a pause, take a step back see what is happening on the ground with the real economy in terms of the impact of the aggressive change in policy that we've seen over the last nine months. We're starting to see inflation roll over. We're starting to see the housing market react in a big way. So as we start to see some of these data points really come together and support what the Fed's looking for from a demand dampening perspective to get inflation back under control, we're hoping that by the second quarter and into the middle of this year, there's a little bit more clarity in terms of what that rate environment looks like going
1: forward to say a lot of market participants have been keen to get the rate hikes behind them uh, they're very slow to price in the aggressive nature quick to say well perhaps we're done because it had so many uh, rate hikes now let's look forward and if we look at the market pricing we've got a rate cut priced in by late 2023 later this year uh, do you think the market is a bit too hasty in trying to get past these rate hikes given the COVID demand story we've been watching globally
4: we're not really anticipating the Fed to start cutting rates until 2024. I think there needs to be some time where we see this really play out. To your point, we are still seeing various different geopolitical things play out. In Europe, for example, we're still waiting to see what China reopening really looks like and what that means for the global economy. And so there are still a lot of different moving pieces. And so I think as it relates to Fed policy, what we would anticipate from a rate perspective, we would start to see some sort of stability through the end of of this year, I'm not really anticipating any sort of cuts coming from the Fed until next year at, at the earliest.
0: Uma, just on China, I'm fascinated by this story. Um, my question is, do you just buy it because everybody else think it, thinks it's going to happen? And then potentially sell if it doesn't uh, turn out to be the strong rebound in consumer consumption that the markets are hoping for at this point. Because by the time we actually find out how robust this reopening is going to be, it could be too late to take advantage of uh, current sentiment.
4: Yeah, that's a great point. And you know what's interesting, especially just in in terms of that reopening, we don't really know the impact of the global recession, what that's really going to mean from just a growth perspective, what that impact is going to be on China. You mentioned you were talking about supply chains being, you know, being intertwined with the Chinese economy, the impact of that we're seeing across the globe. And, And we're seeing that play out actually really interestingly in the real estate space, which is what we're really focused on here at Center Square. And so what we anticipate really happening is continued strength and continued demand for supply chain build out. As a lot of retailers, as a lot of companies build resiliency in their supply chains to make sure that they're able to really circumnavigate geopolitical risks, and other things that do come up and create some of those disruptions in those supply chains. And so industrial real estate, which is really the backbone of that supply chain, that's an area that's, that's really interesting across the global economy today.
0: Just on that real estate story, I know that you're an advocate of putting some money to work in REITs at this point, but how comfortable can you feel moving money into that space at the moment, knowing that central banks, while they've stopped doing 75 are still on a path of 50 basis points from here on in until maybe we get to the Fed's 5% plus terminal rate and other central banks somewhere not that far away. I mean, isn't the REIT market still going to be under pressure as long as we get interest rates continuing to rise?
4: What's really interesting, I think, is the fact that REIT markets globally, not just in the U.S., we've seen it across Europe, we're seeing it across Asia. We've seen that repricing already happen in the REIT markets. In the U.S., for example, REITs are down, implying real estate values lower by about 15 to 20 percent. In Europe, UK, similarly, valuations in the public markets for real estate implied down about 20 percent. And so, what's interesting today is that investors that are looking for exposure to real estate are able to invest in the listed markets that have already repriced for the impact of rising interest rates on the flip side, we haven't really seen that happen in the private markets. And so it presents a really interesting opportunity for real estate investors to take advantage of that arbitrage and the pricing differential between the public markets and the private markets. We're seeing that phenomenon happen globally. And so that's something that's really interesting and and, and provides us with a lot of conviction for the listed real real estate space today, where we have seen that repricing happening from an interest rate perspective. But at the same time, real estate offers you steady- Cash flows And cash flow growth that we don't really see in the equity market more broadly, right? Call it tech, other sectors where you don't necessarily have that same level of conviction and strength from a cash flow perspective. That's a place where REITs are able to provide investors and their portfolios with a really great inflation hedge, as well as some really great dividend yields and growth as it relates to cash flows today.
2: I have a problem with that, Uma, because I think when we get the reckoning in the private sector, I think we're all agreeing there's a reckoning due. My worry is, though, that it's going to be so enormous with the trillions of dollars invested stateside and globally that actually that reckoning could drag down the public sector REITs as well. But you're not so worried about that.
4: We've really seen that already play out in the in the public markets, right? We've actually looked at this phenomenon going back historically. We see this play out at in times where we effectively see the public markets bottom at the same time as when the private market peaks. And so we're seeing that phenomenon play out today, the same as we have seen it play out historically over the years. Okay, fair enough. And in
2: which case, um, where should our viewers be looking in the public sector markets at the moment? Apart from I mentioned
4: industrial Yeah, I mentioned industrial real estate. That's a great place to be globally. We're still seeing a lot of really great demand for companies looking to build out their supply chains. We're also really focused on areas with structural demand drivers, right? So if you think about where... Um, housing, housing sits across the board, we're seeing unaffordability being a really major issue across the globe from a housing perspective. So rental housing is another great avenue for investors to get exposure to something that has those structural demand tailwinds, healthcare as we have an aging population globally. Those are the types of things that we're looking at thematically across Center Square to invest in and, and find really interesting opportunities today. Just
1: quickly, how careful do we need to be around the U.S. dollar trade this year? Obviously, a very strong dollar trade came off the boil to an extent over 2022, but we've seen signs of life in the past 24 hours. So what do you do with the dollar this year?
4: It's interesting. You know, it is given given the dynamics that are happening across the global markets, the the dollar headwinds really impacted companies in, in 2022. We're anticipating that to become a bit of a tailwind as we move across this year.
2: Uma, we're going to leave it there. What a great chat. Thank you very much indeed for joining us out of L.A. today, uh, or this evening, I should say to you. Uh, Uma Moriarty, investment strategist at Centre Square Investment Management. Uh, what is, this? Is, is any good today, CBC Pro? Well, it,
0: um, it's CBC very... Pro is always... I the podcast, it's, it's always
2: fantastic. It
0: the, is. the podcast is golden. Um, but just a, a oh, reminder... Like Gold Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, did uh, you make
1: it to the Gold Coast. Uh, uh, it? Well, because it's too cold. Coast. With, with, Coast with your did. park,
0: your cagoule, and your woolly hat. <laughs> uh, for more on navigating the market in this volatile environment, check out some of the stock picks that analysts say could see further upside this year on CNBC Pro. Uh, still to come on the program, then Hong Kong uh, leading the gains in Asia as investors look ahead to the Fed minutes, which are due today
1: holiday tips. And of course, plenty more on Apple and Tesla's historic sell-offs, as well as the latest market action. You can check out Squawkbox podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. In your headlines this hour, Apple's market cap drops below $2 trillion as shares fall on the first trading day of the year, continuing a year-long decline that's wiped over a trillion dollars from its valuation. Tesla shares extending declines after the carmaker missed on fourth quarter delivery estimates. Elon Musk facing further investor backlash. Natural gas prices in the US and Europe pull back sharply, as forecasters expect milder winter temperatures, while falling energy prices ease inflationary pressures in Germany. House Republicans have failed to elect a new speaker, as Kevin McCarthy becomes the first majority leader in a century not to receive party backing on the first vote.
1: Uh, week a weaker day for stocks, particularly in the tech sector. The Nasdaq, S&P 500 under pressure thanks to Apple stock and also Tesla. More tentative, and when you take a look at the Dow, trading lower by about 10 points, so just a drift south. But uh, clearly, issues around what we saw in the Apple trade as a stock uh, fell below that two trillion dollar market cap. And the concerns here around the macro headwinds, supply chain issues ramping up in China. Already, we've seen a series of problems around those supply chain issues thanks to COVID, but now with the increased focus on what we're seeing with the escalating cases, the concerns about the impact that will have into the 2023 for Apple so one that we saw as the company uh, certainly uh, reversed yet again this has been a stock that has been more resilient than some of the other tech names in 2022 so giving up some of that leadership and uh, some of the concerns here that the outbreak really is a wild card for Apple earnings this year Tesla same concerns around the macro the supply and issues in China but also the factor around competition it is seeing a ramp up in uh, rivals that are really going on for its EV space its EV lead that it's managed to eke out so when comes to what we're seeing out of those stocks big reversal that impacted the broader stock markets Asian markets today in trade looking uh, somewhat firm across on Hong Kong some of that down to the tech names we're seeing a big surge there China trading a, a fraction high about a tenth of a percent very strong day for Australia 1.6 percent higher Japanese stocks though as you can see left out of the mix as we see this ascent in the Japanese yen what well, just take a look at that story it has been fascinating investors have been speculating that the BOJ could be on the path of other central banks and moving towards some sort of tightening of policy but some pushback Tak. The Bank of Japan governor has been at an outing with Japanese bankers to mark the New Year and is talking about maintaining this loose policy, trying to sustain the 2% inflation target, but also uh, trying to continue with wage growth. We've had the Prime Minister on top of that talking about also encouraging big corporates to try and elevate some of those wages more than inflation, so it's pouring fuel on the fire, so to speak, and the Japanese stock market, you could see trading down the dollar is in reverse again versus the japanese yen we got to about a seven month high in trade tuesday at 129 the uh, 10 year jgb is traveling at 0.46 but we have seen the yield on the 20th a slightly longer end of the curve at its highest uh, close since about 2014. let's take a look at the hong kong mark and those big tech names We've got Alibaba out in front. Uh, This around a raising by Ant Group. Uh, Some are hoping for a mood music change around uh, how the company is dealing with regulators after we saw that uh, IPO in recent years put on hold around Ant Financial. The uh, other stocks in the names that we are watching, Baidu, 7.6%, very strong trade there. Uh, The likes of NetEase traveling almost 6% firmer and decent oil trade around JD.com as well. The opening calls here in Europe. This is what we're watching. We had a strong day of trade yesterday markets are also perched firmer we're up 1.22 on the stock of 600 so despite some fade around those big u.s tech names stateside yesterday we are watching again a further build green arrows across the board this morning
0: Oil prices tumbled more than 3% on Tuesday after a private sector report out of China showed December factory activity shrinking at a sharper pace as COVID-19 outbreaks weighed on output and demand. Meanwhile, U.S. natural gas prices hit their lowest level since February, falling more than 10% after warmer-than-expected winter temperatures across much of North America and europe and australia as we found out this morning eased fears of fuel shortages and spiking prices this winter well germany welcomed its first regular shipment of liquefied natural gas from the u.s at its new north sea terminal on tuesday the port was inaugurated last month by chancellor olaf Scholz as part of a wide reaching effort to help the country replace energy supplies it had previously received from Russia.
2: We had North Rhine-Westphalia data yesterday, which was uh, low on the inflation front. What else though? Well, uh, German consumer price inflation eased for the second month in a row in December, coming in at 9.6% on the year. That is weaker than expected and significantly lower than the 11.3% reading in the 12 months to November, amid falling energy prices and government subsidies. What about the French? Well, CPI data is due out today. Expected to show a small uptick in prices. The French Central Bank uh, expects inflation to peak in the first quarter of the year. France's statistical. France's statistical. (laughs) (laughs) Should we try that again? France's statistical. Here we go. Office. It's all those soft C's, isn't it? France's statistical office uh, says it expects the country to avoid a recession uh, this year. Charlotte joins us now always a soft c Don't chat chien me cheval Charlotte, how are you
5: <laughs> very good Happy did you have to a you. lovely new year very nice with your yes.
2: your your brood all all,
5: yes. all recovered in full detox now <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, tell us about the inflation.
5: Well, it looks in front respecting expecting something a little bit different to what we saw in Germany yesterday. That, as you know, inflation has been lower in France than in the rest of the Eurozone because of the energy price cap that the government had put in place at 4%. But things about to change Remember from October, November, it seemed that inflation had been stabilising. Uh, the harmonised number was 7.1%. But we expect a bit of an uptick in front. It hasn't peaked yet. We expect the peak to come in the first half of the year. And of course, again the, the energy price cap has kept prices low at four percent but it's moving to 15 percent from january so they're expected to have an impact and so they expect to see this delay of this peak in the first half of the year and to give you an idea of what's happening in france you have this story about bakers at the moment there's a big headline in france because they have the Didn't double we whammy last year with a big croissant exactly. a baguette but story that's why, it's that's why it was an important story at the time yeah. we're back to talking yeah. about baguette because yeah. they have been hit by this double whammy of crop prices and energy prices. Right. And a lot of these companies have been renegotiating that energy contracts are starting to they've got UNESCO in protection now. That was well, the last they story don't. we did on boulangerie. And it's a huge impact because at yeah. the moment, the price of the baguette actually has been lower than rest of food. The rest of the food price have been above 10% inflation, but the price of the baguette has been lower because oh. it's very important for people. It's a very symbolic one as well. So it's been lower. But the prices have been so high that the input costs for those bakers, so, a lot so, of them so said it, that we so, shut down. So it's, it's
2: symbolic is the baguette in infl- France, so like like what like a pint of Stella in this country, is it or something?
5: Well it's a food staple. And look, a lot of people <laughs> say the French Revolution started with higher bread prices. Like it's a very important one. It's a staple for food. It's a symbolic one. The price of it has been kept lower, but it will go high. A lot of say- Did she ever say, say
2: let the meat cake? Did she really
5: say that? Well that that's probably. Did part she really, of the really say that.
2: that? You know, I'm you're talking about the French Revolution. You know, I'm I'm 13 hours into a 37 hour audiobook on the Good podium. That's <laughs> great, yeah. it's by our old friend Andrew Roberts. Yeah, lo- no, lovely. Um, so, are the French, I, I, I'm using the the, 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 the comical historical, phrase. are the French revolting on this as well, about the, the, the cost? Because we know that French farmers, French consumers are not shy about getting on the streets.
5: Well, not at the moment. Um... But things could get a little bit trickier in the new year uh, because that's, we expect the peak of those prices to start coming in now. So that could be an issue, even though prices have been lower than the rest of Europe. Uh, remember that the cost of living crisis was already in the presidential campaign before the, the war in Ukraine. Of course, that's become more at the center of the conversation. There's always been a topic of conversation, of debate. And now, coming on the table, coming next week, the pension reform is going to be presented by the government. It's going to add a layer of potential discontent there. So the next few months, could be very, very tricky for the government. So they are to navigate all this, remembering the gilets jaunes crisis, and they're very concerned about all this, and they're really working on eggs at the moment. I was going to
1: ask you about that, because I mean, we had a certain narrative last year where France is better placed than other countries across Europe. But uh, the, clearly, the, the issue around protesting makes it very difficult when it comes to what Macron wants to achieve. And you know we just wrapped up 2022, both of us on the ground in France at the election and it was pretty clear to Macron they had a huge job ahead trying to close the divide in society. It feels as though the challenges that you just uh, fleshed out for us make it very difficult for him to have a legacy that he wants to to leave behind uh, after this five years in office. No,
5: and that's absolutely right. A lot of people are waiting to see what is the second mandate of Emmanuel Macron. We've seen him very active on the international scene on a domestic front. We're still waiting to see and that pension reform really Crystallizes a lot of these elements. It was a key element of his first mandate. He didn't go through with it because of the COVID crisis. It was shelved, and now he wants to bring it back because it's important for him, and also probably a signal, a way to show that he's still that reformist president. But as remember, he doesn't have the majority in parliament. It's very tricky for him to get anything through. There's been some protests, some strikes last year already on the back of the cost of living crisis. So all this whole mix coming in the in the beginning of this year could be very very tricky for him to navigate. Not
0: for the first time, France. Looks like a tinderbox waiting to go off. But we could have said that at any time o- over various um, uh, premierships. You know, whether it was Hollande or somebody before that, because this issue of reforming the pension system and dealing with strikes and unions has been embedded in uh, French political life for such a long time. Um, put on top of that the fact that we have this energy crisis, this um, inflation issue around the baguette, as you were talking about, and we have um, very high levels of debt in France. And, you know, this this is almost a, a story that hasn't quite burst out in the financial markets yet, because I think people look at the ECB and its ability to suppress the bond bond vigilantes and they think, well, nothing bad is going to happen. But is there any possibility that this is the year that the market exposes the fragilities of the French economy?
5: That's really the question. And in a way, you, you could think that that's why President Macron wants to push with this reform, this pension reform in particular, because it's been such a tricky conversation and such a tricky reform for such a long time. For many governments, that decided to shelve it. Uh, he wanted to push through with it in the first mandate, COVID. COVID came through, so he didn't push it. But he needs to give a signal that he's still this reformist president, that they showered the economy with money during COVID. They called whatever the cost policy. Uh, some accuse them to still be doing this at the moment. They say, no, 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 which is just protected the economy and the purchasing power of household, which is still the engine of the French economy. They say, well, it's not in that whatever the cost policy, but they need to give a signal that they are watching the finances and this pension fund could be one. But as you say, this could be the little spark that triggers a bigger discontent in the country. And that's always been a tricky one. And there's this feeling at the moment that we will get this proposal. The Prime Minister is meeting all the unions uh, to yesterday and today and this week. The final negotiations are happening. But this could be the spark where broader discontent maybe uh, starts again in France. Charlotte, thank you very much for setting that out for us. Oh, and oh, by
2: the way, I've got to make a correction. What's that? When I said that the English equivalent <laughs> of a baguette is a pint of stella, I was corrected by my co star, who looked right. co star. <laughs> my co star. I'm just looking at the new Your Napoleon film that has got me looking My co star, the, the yeah. lead star, no. uh, Jeffrey Cutmore, who told me the equivalent is not a pint of Stella? It's a sausage roll.
0: I
1: was going to say sausage oh, roll. It's right. A it's sausage right. roll. Well, I'm I'm, I'm, right, three to is. one.
2: I
0: agree. I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although I'm not sure it's quite at the centre of British life in the way that know. a French baguette <laughs> like it, may be baguette. at the centre of French life.
2: <laughs> I think you're. I think you're wrong there. Ah, <laughs> anyway,
0: I had okay. the Aussie
1: equivalent, the meat pie. Oh, the meat pie. The meat oh, pie. I had the meat pie, pie in years. How Which do is, we is meat basically pie just an export. But you, from your the body's UK. a temple, no, Karen. You different. don't eat meat pies. It's very different. Better supply chain, better meat <laughs> <Okay>. inside.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
2: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show. Weekdays on CNBC.